I wasn't going to record it at first. Okay, good. All right, well, let's pray, and, and then we'll get started. Dear Father, thank you so much for this morning, and Lord, we praise you that you are a powerful God. And Lord, we acknowledge that your power, your authority, your glory is far more deeper and wider and higher than we could ever fathom. And so we are, we are literally just scratching at the surface. But Lord, what a, what a joyful discovery it is. And so, so bless our time now, and, and I pray that you would use this time in a particular way in each one of our lives, Lord. Help us to walk away from this morning Sunday school with a greater sense of worship and appreciation and delight in you, our great God and, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, thank you guys for coming. Um, we're doing systematic theology, and this sounds way too loud for me. Does it sound loud to you guys? Okay, so I'm going to turn it down just a little bit. It's kind of hard to find the sweet spot, but... Um, but all right, so, so we started in this study in systematic theology last year, and we started in the doctrine of the Word of God. And that was very particular. We spent several weeks in the Word of God. Um, I, I don't know if it was eight, nine weeks, maybe, maybe more. But, but that is the foundation for everything, because we can't know anything about God except for the Word. We can, we can get inclinations and we can there there is some evidence that there is a creator just by looking at creation and, and and so on and so forth but but to really know God we have to look to his word and um, and so we spent a lot of time in the word of God and then we looked at the doctrine and that's where we've been now is the doctrine of God the existence of God the knowability of God the attributes of God which which looks at his character and then Trent, the Trinity, which looks at his being, and then creation. We spent two weeks in creation and split that up in the middle with one week on counseling, and we'll, we'll continue to do that periodically. Um, take some time off and, and look at counseling. And, and so now we're looking at providence. And so creation emphasizes the fact that God made all things. Well, providence is, this, is the study of how God interacts with the things that he made. So, so God didn't just make things. God interacts with them day by day by day. And, and so we're going to look at his involvement in creation, and, and that's the study of providence. Now, there are certain things about God that on first glance seem counterintuitive to us. And, and this, is, this is one of those areas. And so... But as we let the Word of God function to increase our thoughts on, on this particular subject, it becomes a beautiful thing. And so it might be counterintuitive at first, but it becomes something that, that expands our, our view of who God is and our worship of Him. And, and so I just want to give a, a brief illustration. When it was, a, I think, 14 years ago? 14 years ago, Ann and I moved to Spokane. Now, at the time, Ann was eight months going on nine months pregnant, and our kids, we had four boys, and they had a big tree fort in the backyard, and 
we had about a, a two-acre green belt behind our house with trees, and, and the kids had built a bear trap because they swore they saw a black bear back there the, the summer before. And so, I mean, it was just, it was the time of their life. And we had friends that lived nearby that had kids the same age, and they played together all the time. And so my kids, I don't think if you had really stopped and interviewed each one carefully, which I can't remember to what extent we did. We did talk a lot with them. They, they wouldn't have understood our move to Spokane because, you know, why in the world would we leave this beautiful place? And the house we moved into was half the size, and there was really very small yard, no shade, and it was 100 degrees out. And so the kids didn't even go out to play until 6 or 7 p.m. And um, that summer, and we moved in the summer, and Anne was about to give birth, and so I, I don't think they could have really understood why we were moving. And, but they just trusted us. And they just said, well, you're, you're mom and dad, and you know what you're doing, and we're sad. But, um, and, and that's sometimes how we, and, and I think now, they're all so thankful that we moved. They're, gr they're incredibly grateful because they have more perspective now. They're older now, and it's, it's transformed their lives in really good ways. And, and we got to think, I think, that way when we study who God is, because we want to understand everything, don't we? And we want to be able to just put it in a box and say, okay, this is how God is, I get it. But there are certain aspects of God that the chasm between him and us is far bigger than a two-year-old and their parents deciding to move. And, and so if, I, if that took my kids a decade to really figure out and appreciate, how much more the study of some of these complex thoughts about God. We, it'll be counterintuitive at times, and, and as in our subject today. And, um, and it should stretch all of us. So does that, does that make sense? The, the connection I'm trying to make is we are now talking about God's providential control. And this is an amazing subject, and, and huge mistakes come from this particular study. And, and we have a, a tendency to, to lean one way, and, and if, if we go too far one way, we're just going to view ourselves as robots. And what that does is that minimizes our choices, which ultimately will dehumanize us. If, if we go to, well, God chooses everything, and we don't do anything, and so, you know, you just... It was determined. It's a determinism. It's, a, it's a, almost a robotic view of life. And that's not correct. At the same time, we can go to the opposite extreme and take God out of the picture altogether. And, and suddenly, it all depends on me. And that leads to despair it, or, or incredible pride if you happen to be a really capable person and things line up well for you. And, um, and so there are mistakes all over the place. And, and on this subject in particular, there's much disagreement even among Christians. So I'm not even talking about unbelievers. But with Christians, there are really two camps in the view of the providence of God. One is called Arminian, and one is called Calvinist, or Reformed. And, um, and so we're going to look at both. So next week, we'll spend some time looking at the Arminian position with regard to providence, as well as the problem of evil, because there's evil, and, and it's very real. Um, this week, we're, and, and, and let me just 
give a, a basic definition. And, and by the way, if within the Reformed tradition or, or Calvinist position view on providence, there is an error of, of just becoming fatalistic and just thinking, God does everything, I do nothing. Um, and so we, we want to avoid that error. And then on the Armenian side, there's the, a, a huge error of, of really becoming deistic, where, hey, God created all things like a clockmaker and then steps back and it's up to us and and he's not really involved well i we're not going to do we're not going to talk about we're going to avoid both of those errors in in our in our look at the providence of god so first i just want to give a brief definition coming from clark pinnock who's a who is a believer and he comes from the arminian position and when he thinks about this subject of the providence of god Here's, here's what he says. In order to preserve real or the real human freedom and real human choices that are necessary for genuine human pers personhood, God cannot cause or plan our voluntary choices. You see what he's saying? He's saying God cannot be so much in charge that he is actually planning everything that happens, because then that would rob us of real humanhood and, and real choices and, and the consequences of our choices. And so again, we'll, we'll go there next week. I, I, we, I think we as a church, me as an individual, would disagree with that position, that you can be fully human and have real consequential choices, and, and yet God is still in complete control. And that's the tension we're, we're going to work with this morning. And, and we'll have time for discussion at the end in particular, because I'd like to kind of apply it to our lives, and I'd like to hear from you guys. So, biblical position. The biblical position is contrary to deism. This idea that God just creates things, steps back, and then let's see where it goes. That is not what the Bible prescribes. Um, and the biblical position is also anti-fatalism. We're not robots. We are real human beings with real choices that are consequential. So, so let's kind of work through this. And, and here's the big question. How is God involved in creation? He created all things, yes. So how is he now involved? What does that look like? And so let's go to a definition by Grudem. And, and again, this is from Grudem's Systematic Theology. We've got one more back there, and I think every household should have a copy of that. You should just be working through it at times. And you don't even have to read it from cover to cover. That's overwhelming, but, but when, you, when you encounter a subject that you want to study more about, that's, that's a wonderful book. Also available on Kindle. Okay, definition of providence. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he, number one, keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. And we'll unpack these. Number two, he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. And number three, directs them to fulfill his purposes. So the Bible gives us a picture of a God who is in control in such a way it's 
overwhelming. And, and so if, if we were to, to, to describe those three points in different ways, let's just use the word preservation. He keeps them existing. He preserves them. He cooperates with created things. That's a, a word to describe that as concurrence. And then number three, government. He directs things. So preservation, concurrence, and government. So number one, preservation. God keeps all things. God, God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he keeps them existing and maintaining the properties with which he created them. So a couple of verses. This has to do with the, I don't know if I can say this, but the being of created things. What they actually are in and of themselves. And, and let's look at Hebrews 1.3. I don't think I have these down, but I'll, I'll just read this to you. Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprints of his, imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God is actively upholding the universe by the word of his power. So he spoke the word. It was created. But he, he is actively upholding it by the word of his power every moment of every day and and colossians and and by the way that word upholds it means to carry or to bear like the the men who are carrying the paralyzed man to jesus that's what god is doing with all created things he's carrying them he's bearing them or or jesus turned the water to wine and the servants carried the water to the the master of the ceremony it's, it's this, I, this it's incredibly active personal involvement. And, and it's a present, part, present participle, so it's this idea of continually carrying along. It's not a one-time thing or something he's going to do in the future. It's something he's, he's it's present continuous. And um, Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Last two weeks visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So how, how do things hold together? Christ is somehow in the very middle of it, holding everything together. And if he stopped at any moment, everything would unravel. He's actively holding all things together. Um, Acts 17 says, in him we live and move and have our being. This idea that even our very being and our living is in, in Christ. Apart from him, everything would unravel. Psalm 104, when, when you, God, give it to them, the creatures that he has made, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Active involvement. And, and we'll just keep going. Nehemiah 9.6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made the heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. So he created and he preserves. Again, there's, there's so many verses. I just have a couple. Nehemiah or um, 2 Peter 3, 7. 
But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So this, is, this isn't just something that's indefinite. There is, a, there is a, a, a finality to this and an ending point, and it's going to be judgment. So he is upholding all things, but, but one day it will be judged. So this has profound implications. The idea of paper. Why does paper continue to be paper? It's, it's not from a deist God who creates things and says, okay, let it go. But it, it doesn't dissolve because God is actively keeping this and causing this to maintain the properties that it, that it maintains, the chairs, the metal, whatever it is in the universe. God is holding it all together. He is preserving it. And, and so that's point number one. Now, now just briefly, because we, we've got three more points, and then we'll have a discussion. What are the implications of that? What do you think? Just, I mean, you, even just with regard to science and technology, what are the, what are the implications of God preserving all things? And it's not a trick question, but... What comes to mind? Yeah. Yeah. There, there would be no science apart from the fact that God preserves things in their properties to act as they do. Yes. As if they're independent. So we give God created these things, and He created things that work. But he's also making them continue to work, and and he's holding them together. And yeah, Mark. Science is really the discovery of God's works. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to keep going. Okay, yeah. It's, yeah, that's a that's a classical Christian education definition. Yeah. Okay. Let let's keep going, and then um, 
And, and we'll, there'll be time at the end to discuss as well, so hang on to your thoughts. Worship. Psalm 150 says, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous deeds. This, this idea of preservation, yes, we can look at creation and praise him for that. It's, it's amazing, and that leads to praise and worship. But how much more the fact that God created such an amazing world and that he's keeping it together day by day, moment by moment. He never sleeps nor slumbers. God is transcendent, but he is so imminent, even down to the molecular level. I mean, he is, he is involved in everything. Okay, preservation. Concurrence has to do with his activity. And so let's look at that. God is continually involved in all created things in such a way that, number two, he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do. So concurrence. God cooperates with created things in every action, in everything that they do. Now, this is very similar to preservation, but it's, but it's a little bit dif different. Um, here's how Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. The cooperation of God and his divine power with all the subordinate powers according to the pre-established laws of their operation, causing them to act and to act precisely as they do. In other words, he doesn't violate their properties. He, um, he, he's created all things and all things exist according to their properties and they do according to their properties but they're not doing independent from God. God is actively directing them in their properties to do everything that they do. And um, so let's, let's look at this. This has to do with primary causes and secondary causes. So we can look at, at um, hail, for instance, and, and we can give a natural explanation for why it's hailing outside. And that's 100% true. Hail is acting according to its properties and according to atmospheric pressures and the temperature and all of that. Um, but that's a secondary cause. There's a primary cause there, too. And that primary cause is God himself. And, um, and so let's, let's look at different areas. So first of all, inanimate creation. Psalm 148 says, Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, Fulfill his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars. Psalm 104, you cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. So, let's go on. Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Matthew 5.45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So who, who makes all of these things happen? God, yes. And so is hell just a, a figment of our imagination? Or is, is it actually working according to the properties within? 
it's, it's, it's existing. It's doing what it's supposed to do. So botanists would have a different explanation. Meteorologists would have a different explanation for why things. Why does the sun rise every, every day? Well, gravitational pulls, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It, it works, but it doesn't work independent of God. God is directing all of this. And um, let's, let's go on. Animals. Psalm 104. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, are they not out gathering food constantly? They, they are. But it's God who's feeding them. Matthew 10, not one sparrow will fall to the ground apart from your father. Inanimate creation, animals. I mean, we, we could go on and on. Seemingly random or chance events. Proverbs 16 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. If I were to flip a coin or roll dice, you could come up with a physical explanation for why it does what it does. Well, you know, it... It rolled, it bumped into something, friction, whatever, and it, and it landed on a side, so gravity is involved. But what, what the Bible says is God is deciding what it does. God is deciding the outcome, even on chance and random events. National affairs, Psalm 22, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over the nations. You know, in our last election, you know, we could say, well, it had to do with who showed up to vote and other people didn't and more Democrats showed up than Republicans and, and so, you know, the election turned out the way it is. But do you know that God actually put Biden in office? God did. And, you know, we can, but, but did, did we have a responsibility to vote? And did we have a responsibility to, to show up? And were there certain things that we needed to do? Absolutely. Do, did those things matter? You bet. They led to the election of Biden. So our actions mattered 100%. We were responsible. But who ultimately put Biden in office? It was God. Again, you, you, there's tension here, isn't there? Incredible tension. Um, we can go on. Proverbs 21, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Ezra 1.1, an ungodly pagan king. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, nothing to do with Israel and the people of God. And it says that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. What was that proclamation? Go back to Jerusalem and build the temple, and I'm going to pay for it. He's a, he's a pagan king. Did he decide to do that? 100%. But who determined that that would happen? God did, and God is moving through a pagan king. Um, Ezra 6, 22, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. When you look at all the verses in the Bible that describe God's power and authority even over kingdoms, national affairs, over kings, over leaders, over people, 
you see that God is 100% in control, and, and yet we're responsible. We are. The two exist, and the two are necessary to affirm. Again, if you don't affirm our responsibility and our choices, you, you end up in, in, a, in fatalism, where it just doesn't matter. God's decided, and so there's nothing we can do. But then if you, if you try to take God out of the equation, you end up in deism, and so on and so forth. And does it minimize our choices and our decisions that God is on the throne dictating and working and planning and making all things happen according to his will? It doesn't violate anything. But it sure feels like it. It sure seems like it when you, when you look at this. Again, we'll have time to discuss. How about our lives? Uh, Daniel 4.35. All, and, and listen to these verses. Again, what we affirm is, as Christians is that we're going to believe every word of the Bible, and it's true. And therefore, if there's any nuance, we're going to find it in Scripture itself. But Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Matthew 6, 11, give us our daily bread. It's, it's a prayer. What are we praying when we pray, give us our daily bread? We're praying, hey, I know I've got to get up off my rear end. I need to get a job and I need to work and I need to earn money and I need to go to the grocery store and buy food that was planted in farms and delivered by trucks and there's, there's all this human activity, but ultimately, it's God who gives me my daily bread. And so I look to him. And, and, and that's this subject on display. Psalm 139 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. You see, God actively planning and deciding even before we were born everything that we would do. That's true. Jeremiah 10, 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Does the man walk? Absolutely. Is he responsible to walk? You bet. But who directs his steps? God does. Proverbs 20 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 16, 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Um, 1 Corinthians 4, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? Psalm 33, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of earth. He who fashions the hearts of men, of them all, and observes all of their deeds. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The previous verse says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who does everything. It's both. God has dictated, God has planned, God has determined, and the life you are living right now is according to God's perfect plan, every last aspect of it. 
And yet we are responsible and we make willing choices. But those willing choices are not independent from God. And, and we all know that we're affected by the factors and the circumstances in our lives, by our upbringing, etc. But beyond all of that is God behind all of it. And when, when you begin to go into the implications of this, it, it just expands the glory of God. It expands how powerful and how glorious our God is and how directly, I mean, just the, the reality that he could be involved in the decision that we made to move to Spokane, for example. Oh my goodness, that decision goes back generations. It goes back thousands of years and it involves geopolitical things and, and immigration and it involves finding a job and, and it involves my dad deciding to move, you know, I mean, it involves millions of decisions and yet God has determined all of that. He's been at, at work in all of that without violating human choice. They, they work together and it's, it's overwhelming. First Chronicles 10 says Saul took his own sword and fell on it. So Saul killed himself when he saw they were losing in battle. But then just 10 verses later, it says, Saul did not seek guidance from the Lord, therefore the Lord put him to death. Did Saul kill himself or did the Lord put him to death? Oh, see, it's concurrence. God was working through the sinful actions of Saul. God was not responsible for evil. God did not commit any evil. But God was actively working through the conscious, willful choices of Saul to do exactly what God wanted to do without violating Saul's choices. So we are, oh, in Jonah. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Remember, Jonah said, hey, I'm disobeying the Lord. If you want this storm to, to cease, you've got to throw me in. And their last thing, they finally reluctantly threw him in. So who threw Jonah? Who caused Jonah to be thrown into the sea? On the one hand, it was, it was the sailors. But then just in the next chapter, Jonah turned to the Lord and said, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. It was all part of God's plan working through the willing choices of men. So you have primary and secondary causes. We really do cause events to happen. We have real choices that bring about real results, but they are not independent from God. God is 100% planning, directing, orchestrating, and, and we're responsible. Again, you, you see the tension? There's incredible tension here. And the, the, one way to, here's how we try to ignore the, te the tension, is to say, well, God isn't in control, or to say, he is. If we say he's not, because we really want to uphold the, the, the primacy of our choices, then we ignore much of Scripture. But then if we, if we say, well, well, God is in control, then we, we ignore all those scriptures that say, you must choose, choose you this day who you, will, who you will serve. There's much in the Bible that encourages us to make moral decisions, right moral decisions. And, and so we can't ignore any of this. It's all there. It, it has to work together, and it does. And the only way it can work together is that God is absolutely more than we can even imagine in control, planning, directing, and, and we have 
responsible decisions that we are called on and required to make. Now, um, again, some would say if our choices are not real, they cannot be caused by God. Or if our choices are real, they cannot be caused by God. But that's just, who says? No. Our choices are real, and they are caused by God. And if they are caused by God, they cannot be real. That's, that's not biblical. There is tension here. God causes all things to happen, but does so in such a way that he somehow, in his infinite wisdom, upholds our ability to make willing, responsible choices that have real and eternal results for which we are held accountable. That's the truth. That's what the Bible teaches. How does he do it? I don't know. And I don't think any of you really know. Yeah, Mark. You, Mark knows. He created reality. Okay, we're going to have discussion in a minute, and amen, and we're, we'll we'll go there, and and so hang in there. Okay, some people try to do this by by saying either. Either we don't have choices at all, and they don't really matter, or, or God is not directing things, etc. Other people will say, well, it's kind of like a team of horses, and you've got you know, two horses pulling. It's kind of like God and us. We're both, you know, 50-50. But it's not that, right? God is actively doing all things. Um, Wayne Grudem, and I, he gets this analogy from, from someone else, but... He says that it's kind of like the, the Shakespearean play Macbeth. Macbeth murders King Duncan in the play, right? I read the Cliff Notes in high school. I know this. Um, he murdered King Duncan. So who killed King Duncan? Macbeth, right? But who wrote the play? Shakespeare did. So who's responsible? Macbeth, Shakespeare did not actually pick up the knife or whatever. How did he kill him? I don't remember the cliff notes perfectly, but I'm, I'm just going to say it was a knife. And, um, and we know that Macbeth was the actor, but the play was written, planned, conceived of, established in the mind of Shakespeare. Was Shakespeare guilty of this immoral act? Well, in that instance, maybe somehow, but, um, but with God, God never does evil. He's, the, the Bible never describes him as doing anything evil. God has never done anything wrong. And yet wrong things happen that God is in control over. And, but, but he works through willing, sinful participants who carry out all the evil that's in the world 
God's planning it, but God is not responsible for it in any way. We willingly and gladly and eagerly choose to sin. We do. And, um, yeah, Katie. Absolutely. And it's, it's really powerful. Now, God is not looking forward and saying, oh, you're going to decide this, and therefore I'm going to move to plan B and make good come out of it. He's not like the, the person sweeping up behind us and making all things work. He's somehow, even in the, the planning process, but you're right, it's 100% something that when, when, we, when we sin, we are 100% guilty, We've made a mistake, and we will reap the consequences, but God somehow is over all of it, bringing about phenomenal good, better results than what would have happened had it never happened to begin with. And yet, we must avoid sin at all costs. We can't just say, well, let's sin that grace may abound. That would be very faulty thinking. But when we do sin, and we look back, and we just say, oh, God, how could you bring good out of that? And yet, you have. It was painful. It hurt. And this brings incredible hope and It's an amazing hope. This is such a glorious doctrine because it gives us hope. Would you have hope if you thought some other thing was in control or even your own choices? How would you like to be on the throne and believe that your choices are going to dictate whether or not the church continues to be built or whether or not people go to heaven or hell forever and ever and it's all based on whether you choose A or B right now? It's too much. And yet, somehow God has done it in a way that we are responsible, and we do get to be part of what he's doing. It's unbelievable. And, J John. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we can't, and we shouldn't expect to. It shouldn't surprise us that we can't. Yeah, Chris.
why do we pray? Because we believe God is in control, and we're praying to someone who can make things happen. Now, does God change his plan because we're praying? Okay, wow, well, I had a plan, but you're praying now. Do you know that God even ordains that we would pray? And, and it's incredible that God would make a plan that involves our willing actions to pray and evangelize, for example, or, or teach our kids, or, or so on and so forth. He would, he would determine a plan and involve our willing choices in order to bring about his purposes. It's incredible. We get to be part of what God is doing, and he's ordained it that way from the very beginning. He's not changing course as we go. We, we are part of that. And he said, ask and you will receive. This, this should motivate us to pray. This is incredible. Um, we kind of went to the last part, but I'll just, government, just put it this way. God preserves all things. He's working in their properties, even our free choices, etc., to bring about his governing authority in the world in every possible way. Ephesians 1 says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What happens on earth that wasn't according to God's plan? The answer is nothing. Nothing. Everything is according to plan. Um, Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Romans 11:36. for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. This, this study of providence is the only way we can believe Romans 8.28. If God were not in control of all things, if he did not plan all things from the very beginning, we would have no assurance that all things will work together for good. You know, there are people, there are genuine Christians who love the Lord, who live in fear, and it's really each one of us, depending on which day of the week it is, live in fear because you're just not sure how things are going to turn out. Well, the Bible tells us it's going to turn out wonderfully well. Everything, even that lost job, even a lost child, whatever it is, God will use. Now, it doesn't mean that there won't be pain and it's right to grieve. When we see sin happening, we don't just say, oh, God, God's in charge of it. It's going to be okay. But we, we say, oh, it hurts. And this is, not, this, is, this is not how it should be. God created all things with no sin. He knew it was going to happen, and we'll talk about that next week. But, um, but nothing took him by surprise, and everything, even the deepest pains we feel, will bring about God's perfect plan, which involves also our joy and our delighting in him and our growth as Christians. So, so I mean, so how can God be working all things? Are we free to make our own choices? that have real consequences? Yes, we are free in, in the sense, we are not free in the sense of being uninfluenced by outside, outside influence, right? So, so we are influenced. God is the only one who is not influenced by anything or, or anyone. 
And God has determined, God has directed. Now, we'll, we'll get into our choices because they are very, very real, just not today. Now, I'd say this. This is incredible because we, we have really three options. We are vulnerable to our own choices, and we are. We will reap what we sow. But if you think you're in the driver's seat, that's going to lead to incredible anxiety. Your choices are God. So we reject that. That's great peace that comes from rejecting the fact that I'm not in control. Aren't you glad you're not in control? Oh my gosh. Number two, in the end, we're either going to be vulnerable to our own choices, ultimately, or we're going to be vulnerable to God's choices, or we're going to be vulnerable to some evil influence out there. The simple way of stating it. Where do you want to be vulnerable? To God, right? To God. And that's exactly where he's placed us. And God is infinitely good, infinitely loving, infinitely kind, gracious. Um, it's exactly where any sane person would want to be. To have God. Now, now I'm not, this, I'm, I'm just acknowledging what scripture says and saying, man, I'm glad it's that way. I'm glad that I'm ultimately vulnerable to a God sitting on his throne who has power, authority, and he's good. Okay. Is this a contradiction? Absolutely not. Um, we'll talk about this next week, but even in the realm of human experience, we know, and this is Grudem, that we, we can will and carry something painful, carry out something painful that we do not desire in order to bring about a long-term result that we do desire, more than the avoidance of short-term pain. Um, so on and so forth. We, we, we'll get into the problem of evil and all that. Okay. How does this, I mean, can you think of a time in your life, and Katie, you already shared, just how you look back, and every one of us can do that, and just say, oh, I'm so glad. How did God bring beauty from ashes, like you said, Anne? But any, any thoughts or contributions, how does this lead your, your heart to, to worship? Anne. said. 
Acts 2 says this, this Jesus delivered up, this is Peter, and he says, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You know, the, the, the greatest evil that ever happened was a perfectly righteous man who had never made one mistake being crucified as a criminal. That's the greatest evil that's ever happened. And, and Peter turns around to the crowds and he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And so they're thinking, okay, good, we're off the hook. It was God. And then he says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And yet here's God subjecting himself to his own plan, which was the greatest suffering anybody could ever imagine. We can't imagine the depth of it. And it was his plan for our salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Acts 4, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. Who did it? They did it. They're guilty. Who? Herod, Pilate, even the people of God. What did they do? They carried out God's plan. Who's guilty? They are. It's, it's unbelievable, but let's not deny what Scripture says, and let's just say it's true. Just like my kids. Okay, we'll move to Spokane. Mom and Dad think it's a good idea. I mean, it's not just like that. It's totally different. But, um, but let's just be like children and say, man, if the Bible says it. And again, that's why we spent so much time looking at the doctrine of the Word of God. You can stake your life on it. And if you don't, it's going to be really hard to continue to be a Christian. Stake your life. The Bible is true. So when you see it, you mean God did it? Yeah, he did. You mean he's not responsible for evil? Absolutely not. We are? Yes. We have willing choices? You bet. But they're not independent of God's plan. And that's a good thing. That's a wonderful thing. And the more we scratch into it, the more we'll appreciate that, especially when you go through hard times, especially when things are difficult to know that there is a good and loving God who's, who's going to bring a good end from the rubble. So let's pray. We don't have a lot of time to pray. Um, so, so let's pray. Jim, you want to open us up?